Okay, so we're going to continue in this video going through Romans 9. We've made a few videos already covering, um, we're just kind of going a few verses at a time and trying to track with Paul and, and follow his argument and his line of reasoning and, and just trying to follow what he's actually trying to get at. What is he actually trying to communicate in, in this chapter and kind of making the distinction between where Reformed theology and Calvinism would uh, take his argument and where I believe Paul is actually uh, intending uh, his argument to to go, what he's actually trying to communicate. And so to kind of recap, um, verse 6 in Romans 9, it says, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for they are not all Israel um, who are descended from Israel. So I want to make these distinctions again, just kind of recap. He says, they're not all Israel who are descended from Israel, nor are they all children, because they are Abraham's descendants. But through Isaac, it says through Isaac. Um, and so as we've talked about in the last videos, through faith, um, your descendants will be named. That is, it is not the children of the flesh, it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise. Um, these are the ones regarded as descendants. Um, so children of the promise. And we're going to look a little bit more about what all these things mean. But right now we can see, you know, we see Paul making this distinction. Um, he says that not all are Israel, so there's a true Israel, so not all are Israel who are simply descended from Israel or who have a DNA uh, connection to Abraham, who have a natural bloodline uh, connection. That simply having that DNA connection to Abraham, what Paul's saying here, that doesn't automatic, automatically mean you are true Israel. You are a true Jew in God's eyes. And so there's that distinction between uh, True children, he says that nor are they all children because they are Abraham's descendants. So again, you can be a, a, a descendant of Abraham according to the flesh, a natural descendant of Abraham, and God does not count you still as a true, in the spiritual sense, uh, descendant of Abraham. And so again, that's kind of what, what Paul's getting at here is uh, there's the DNA connection to Abraham. There's the natural descent um, uh those who are Israel simply according to the flesh. Um, and, and again, that's what Paul says, that you're, they're Abraham's descendants, but it's according to the flesh. And then there are the true children of Abraham, or those who are, uh, in the spiritual sense, are true Jews, are true Israel, are true children of Abraham. And that's really the reason why Paul even brings this up, is because he's trying to answer the question of, of how is God not unfaithful? You know, the Jews, the, these guys here, the, the naturally born uh, Jews, those who have that DNA connection to Abraham, they're actually being rejected. Uh, God is actually cutting them off. They're cut off from Christ. They're cursed. And, and while that's happening, the Gentiles are being grafted in, and they're actually being accepted by God. And so the Jews who have all these promises, they have the promises of God that, that he gave to Abraham and he gave to the nation of Israel. And they're coming to God with, with their law keeping. They're coming to God with their, uh, with all, you know, their claim that, you know, we have the promises of Abraham. We have the promises given to the patriarchs and to our nation. 
and now we're being Paul, you're now you're saying we're being cut off. Like that's not fair. How is that right? How is how is that not making God a liar and unfaithful to his promises? That's basically the question that Paul is preemptively replying to here. And so again, the reason why he's bringing up these distinctions between a true Israel and a uh, a simply uh, a descendant of Israel or a, a descendant according to the flesh of Israel, you know, he's making that distinction between true children of Abraham and false, like not true in the spiritual sense, children of Abraham. The reason he's making that distinction is to explain why God is not unfaithful, why God's promises have not failed, that even though God did make promises to Israel, what Paul is saying is that those promises were only intended for those in within Israel who are within the category of true Israel, those within, you know, the natural born descendants of Israel and Abraham who are in that category of true children of Abraham. And, and so the reason Paul's arguing that God is not unfaithful uh, and that God's promises have not failed to these Israelites who are simply connected to Abraham and simply connected to the promises of God um, only by their DNA connection to, uh, to Abraham and only by their law-keeping and, and all these works of the flesh that they're bringing— Paul's reasoning why God's not unfaithful for uh, because they're now not inheriting those promises and they're actually cut off from them. The reason is because God never actually intended those promises or that blessing for these simply natural-born descendants of Abraham. The promises were always intended for true Israel, for those who are, you know, like again, Paul says in the beginning of Romans, he talks about those who are true Jews who are not simply uh, circumcised outwardly, who are not simply uh, Jews outwardly, but are Jews inwardly. And it's a matter of the heart by the Spirit. And so those are the, those are the people that God always intended his promises for. And when he made promises to Abraham and when he made promises to Israel, the promises of God have always been, he's always been focused um, on these, this category of people. And, and um, the other category, the simply uh, fleshly descendants of Abraham, were never actually, in God's mind and heart, a part of those promises. They were never intended for those people. And so Paul's really just getting at this mystery here, this mystery of salvation, which ultimately is Christ, who is that mystery, who explains it all. And so, so again, as I've talked about in the last uh, several videos, um, that what Paul, I believe, you know, there's the two split roads where we could go, where we could say, okay, so you see here, this is Paul's kind of bringing, bringing into light the ideas of Reformed theology and Calvinism, and he's making this case now that, uh, you know, really, if you follow Calvinism here, the line of reasoning would have to go something like this, okay, those who are true children of Abraham are those God has simply selected, you know, he's determined before the foundations of the earth, he has his elect people who before people were born, he simply chose who would be saved and who would who would uh, not be saved. He chose who would be true children of Abraham and who would not be uh, true children of Abraham. That was simply a sovereign choice of God. He, he made that choice. It's done. There's nothing that can change 
Um, and, and so it's kind of just that fatalistic view um, that is often taken with this passage. And, and to me, there's just absolutely no trace of that idea in here. The only way that you can arrive at that conclusion to me is if you just kind of completely derail from Paul's train of thought and his line of reasoning and his line of argument here. Um, if you, you know, it's like you're going along and it's like, okay, Paul, if you, you're following what Paul's saying and it's all about um, his analogies he's drawing, it's all about faith. It's, it's all a, an issue of, of God has always chosen uh, the basis of faith as the way through which to become a true child of Abraham. And that's why he says those who have the faith of Abraham and that's why he says, you know, in Galatians, that it's, it's those who are of faith who are counted as Abraham's offspring. Those are the, the, the children of Abraham. And those who rely on the flesh, they're not. And so to arrive, I think, at a Calvinistic understanding of this passage, you know, that God has simply chosen who to save and, and who to not save, um, I think you have to kind of just absolutely derail from Paul's line of reasoning, reasoning and his uh, what his argument is here, and so he has this one track really where he's staying on this track of of faith in Christ and the gospel and God's chosen basis of relating to Him, which we see throughout you know so many of his epistles, all of his epistles, and and we see so strongly in places like Galatians, and now I think that's is is so strong here. Um, it's, it's that argument of, of God's chosen basis of faith, that the basis by which people um, he's chosen where people can relate to him and enter into a covenant relationship with him is the basis of faith in Christ. And this is the track that, that he's on in Romans 9. He doesn't, he doesn't switch topics, you know, I don't think, midway through Romans. It's, it's, it began as, a, a, you know, he's unpacking the mystery of salvation, the full salvation God has provided in Christ. He started with that in Romans, and, and he's continuing on that in Romans. The focus is faith in Christ. And so I think to arrive at a, again, to arrive at a Calvinistic conclusion here, you have to start going off the track. And it's like you, somewhere along the road, you misunderstand Paul's reasoning, you misunderstand the points he's bringing up, you misunderstand some of his analogies, um, and so you just get off track, and you, you arrive at a destination that God never intended for us to arrive at here, which ultimately is a perception of his character and his nature that that is just not true. It's skewed. It's off. And so when we stay on the track of Christ and that centrality of Jesus and that focus on him, um, we ultimately, we end up arriving where Paul wanted us to arrive, which is a deeper understanding of the gospel, a deeper grasp of, of what it means when Paul says in Colossians that God is uh, you know, we're complete in Christ and everything, Christ is preeminent and he's, he is, you know, he's God's focus really that, that he's the focus that God wants us to end at. I don't, I think it's fair to say that God doesn't even want us to get away from Romans nine. And the primary focus we have is, is a focus on, uh, the sovereignty of God, but, but rather he wants us to come away from Romans nine with a, uh, focus and a deeper grasp, a deeper revelation of the uh, the centrality of the gospel, the centrality of Christ in the heart and mind of God, and that Jesus really is the one thing, you know, like David says in Psalm 27, one thing I ask, this will I seek after, that I may gaze upon your beauty and inquire in your temple. And so I think the one thing 
that God wants us to keep focused on. And the one thing he wants us to come away with in Romans 9, the primary thing is a deeper grasp of the gospel, a deeper understanding of the centrality of Christ, and understanding that Jesus is at the heart of understanding God's, God's sovereignty. That I think I think this this might sound a little strange, and um, and so you can talk to me about this and ask me about this later if this sounds strange or off to you. But I, I think it's possible to even come away with, from Romans nine with a father focus, with a focus on God the Father, and, and Jesus is kind of pushed to the side or to the background where now the focus is oh the sovereignty of God the Father, the sovereignty of God. And, and the gospel and Jesus is kind of just uh, diminished. It's kind of uh, pushed to the side view in this chapter somehow. I think that's what Romans not, or I think that's what Calvinism and, and Reformed theology does, not intentionally, and, and uh, obviously it's not intentional, but I think that's what, what can happen. And the reason why that's not good it's it's not that it's wrong or it's bad to focus on the father there's nothing wrong with that but i think it's possible to defocus and and first we to decentralize christ and to miss him in in a scripture and then when we are even focused in on the father that focus is wrong it's skewed because like jesus said you must come through me nobody comes to the father but through me so if we're attempting to get to the father uh, in Romans 9, in this chapter, but we're coming away without a, a, a greater grasp of Jesus Christ and a greater grasp of the gospel. And if we derailed from Paul's always his, you know, Colossians, uh, I think it's Colossians 2, where he says, um, or Colossians, the end of Colossians 1, he says, him we preach. So Paul had one message, and that was proclaiming Christ. And so I think it's fair to say that in Romans 9, he's proclaiming Christ. And so if we come away from Romans 9 and we've missed that, we've missed uh, Paul's, Paul's focus on the gospel here, and we've missed Christ here, the Christ central uh, centrality of Christ here, I think we will arrive uh, at uh, a, uh, you know, it's only through Christ that we arrive at a correct perception of, of who God is, what his character is, what he's like, what his sovereignty looks like, what it, what, when we actually see his sovereignty and salvation, it's only through Christ and through the mystery uh, that has been revealed in him that we understand uh, God's sovereignty. And so, again, if, if we miss Christ, we derail from that central, that central focus of Paul, then we're going to, you know, we're missing the gospel, we're missing Jesus, and we're coming away with a, a skewed view of God um, and a skewed view of his sovereignty a, a, a view that might have some truth in it, some elements of truth, and, uh, and, and I think that Reformed theology does, but I think ultimately when we get down to the bottom of it, that, that what's happened is, is we've not, you know, Reformed theology does, Reformed theology does not, uh, it misses that, it derails from that uh, focus of Paul, what he's really arguing for, what his reasoning really is, what his focus really is. And so it results in a derailment and a, a missing of Jesus in this chapter um, and a, uh, a ultimately a skewed view of God and a warped perception of his sovereignty. So it's the children of promise 
who God has chosen. It, it's true Israel, those who are true children of Israel that God has, has chosen. And we looked at this a little bit deeper in, in uh, some of the last videos, but the children of promise are who? We've seen that it's, it's those who um, have the faith of Abraham. It's, it's those who are of faith. It's those who are weak and, and come to God, not on the basis of their own strength, their own efforts, what they have to bring to the, to the table, but come on the basis of faith, and they depend and rely on him. And uh, the children of the flesh, um, or the mere fleshly descendants of Abraham, those are, are really, that's Israel. That's Israel who is now offended because of God's rejection of them, um, they're coming to him on the basis of their works and, and what they have to bring to the table and God's rejecting them. And so the, these are the rejected ones by God. These are the ones who are not chosen and, and it's those of faith who God has chosen and who God truly intended the blessings and the promises for. So to continue through uh, this chapter, um, this is where Paul begins to bring up some Old Testament examples. And, and this is again a uh, uh, I think this is one of the, the main places, maybe one of the beginning places where um, those who would interpret this through a Calvinistic or Reformed lens would begin to derail, and they would begin to misunderstand and misinterpret Paul's, uh, the analogies he begins to draw, the Old Testament examples he brings up, and they'd begin to see those and miss uh, Paul's point. And again, like Peter says, Many of the things Paul writes are are difficult to understand, um, and so I think I think Romans nine is a case in point of that, what Peter meant by that, and so it can't you know this uh, we should have grace for anybody who who misses this who misunderstands what Paul's saying because it is hard to understand it's it is a little bit difficult to follow his line of reasoning the track that he's going on of faith. Um, but it is a big deal. And so let's just look at these, look at some of the Old Testament examples he brings up. So Romans 9, starting in verse 9, it says, For this is the word of promise, at this time I will come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but there was Rebekah also, when she had conceived twins by one man, our father Isaac. For though the twins were not yet born, and had not yet done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to his choice, would stand, not because of works, but because of him who calls. It was said to her, the older will serve the younger. Just as it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So, so first off, let's focus back in on um, when he brings up the son. At the beginning, he says, uh, this is the word of promise at this time. Um, I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So this is a reference, obviously, to Isaac, the story of Isaac, when God promised Abraham and Sarah a son. Um, and so before, I want to focus in on that real quick and, and kind of look at what Paul's really, why does he bring up Isaac? And, and again, um, we've been comparing Romans 9 to Galatians. And when we look at Galatians and we look at the spiritual analogy that Paul is drawing when he brings up the, the, the stories of Isaac and, and Sarah and, and Abraham and Ishmael, when he brings those examples up, the spiritual analogy he's really getting at is very significant, again, in understanding what his point is here. And it's very important that we follow that again so we don't lose track of what Paul's trying to get at. And so before that, um, what, what he's really doing here and bringing up, he brings up Isaac and, and Ishmael, really, and Jacob and Esau. 
And so again, what he's doing is he's just drawing that contrast between, you know, there are, uh, there's true children of Israel, there's true children of Abraham, and there are uh, not true. There are those who God has chosen, and there are those who God has not chosen. There are those who are really, truly inheritors of the blessing and promises who God really intended the promises for, and there are those who God did not intend the promises for. So he's just drawing that, that contrast again. And so we see that he says a, there's a son, which is Isaac, and this this is just an example that he's using to to uh, parallel true children of Abraham, uh, true spiritual children of Abraham. Uh, Isaac is is an example of that. And again, the story of Jacob and Esau. He brings up Jacob uh, again as an example of a uh, true Israel. Jacob represents true children of Abraham, those who uh, are really chosen by God. And so again, uh, I think Jacob would be an example of faith when we look and, and follow Paul's reasoning here. Jacob is an example of faith. Isaac is an example of faith. Uh, that That's the spiritual analogy Paul's trying to get at. And when he brings these up, what he's not trying to do is say, see, look, God God chose uh, Isaac and he, cho- and he didn't choose Ishmael. And so obviously what we can draw from that is that, you know, God chose Isaac to go to heaven and God chose Ishmael Ishmael for uh, hell and he created him for the purpose of eternal destruction. And and the same deal with Jacob and Esau. Um, We have to really stop and I think and honestly ask ourselves, is that is that really what Paul's getting at here? You know, I, I can see honestly, you know, I can see how you could derail from Paul's reasoning, from Paul's line of argumentation here, and, and end up there, or, or start to get off track and go that direction. But I think it becomes muddy, and it, it's and that's not the clear direction Paul's going. That's, that's really a mistake to go that direction, especially when we look closer at, at how Paul uses these uh, analogies in a spiritual way in different uh, contexts, in different scriptures. So first, let's focus in again on the son. It says the the child of promise. God God promised Abraham and I or Abraham and Sarah and said that this time I'll come back. I'll give you a son, and that was the promise God made to to bring you know ultimately to bring Isaac, and so that is the child of promise. So again, it's very significant when we compare Galatians to to Romans nine. So I'm just going to read through uh, starting in Galatians four verses 21 through 31. I'm just going to read through this section, and I think we'll begin to see and understand a little bit more of why Paul is bringing up these examples of of Isaac and Ishmael, of Jacob and Esau. So Galatians 4, 21. Tell me, you who want to be under law, do you not listen to the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondwoman, and one by the free woman. So here again, we're seeing that same deal. He's beginning to, he's, he's making that contrast. He's, he's creating two different categories of people. Those who are uh, children, there's the two sons of Abraham, and, and there's the one who was born uh, of the bondwoman, and, and that was obviously Ishmael, who was created as a result of Abraham and Sarah's self-reliance and their own efforts, their own work to accomplish what God had promised to accomplish for them. Abraham and Sarah in unbelief went out and produced Ishmael, which is a picture of the flesh. It's a picture of the human uh, human wisdom, human self-reliance and unbelief in God. And then there was the one 
by the free woman, which is Isaac. And then he says, but the son by the bond woman was born according to the flesh. So what does that mean, according to the flesh? Well, it's just like I just said, it's according to the flesh that he was born, Ishmael was born as a result of Abraham and Sarah's unbelief in God. He was born as a result of Abraham and Sarah's, uh, their, their self-reliance, their, um, their, own, their own strength, and, and their own understanding. You know, it's, it's a perfect example of what it looks like to not obey uh, Proverbs 3, where we're told to not lean on, on our own understanding, but trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. So Ishmael was born according to the flesh, meaning that Abraham and Sarah got into acting and working in their flesh rather than, than walking according to faith when they produced Ishmael. They were working. Ishmael was produced as a result of unbelief. Ishmael was produced as a result of of their fear and, and lack of trust in God to accomplish what he said he was going to accomplish. And so they set out to do it for him. So he says, The son by the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and the son by the free woman uh, was uh, through the promise. So again, what he means here is that Isaac came as a result of a promise that, that yes, Abraham and Sarah did stumble into unbelief, which resulted in Ishmael. They did get in and at different seasons and times they got into the flesh, just like we all do. But this is the grace of God coming through where he says, ultimately, he saw Isaac and, or he saw Abraham and Sarah trusting him for Isaac. Ultimately, they, though they wavered, though the righteous fall uh, seven times, it will rise again. And so uh, Isaac, or I keep saying that, Abraham and Sarah ultimately believed God for Isaac. When God looks back at this story and sees, he love believes all things, love hopes all things, love endures all things. So God looks back at this story of Abraham and Isaac, and he looks at it with the eyes of love. And he, so he sees Sarah and Abraham as, as enduring in faith and waiting for that promise that God would bring a child to them rather than him, them having to do it for themselves. And so that is what Paul means when he says the, the son by the free woman was born through promise, that he was born as a result of faith. He was born as a result of, of them trusting God and waiting for him to fulfill his promise, while the Ishmael, again, was born according to the flesh, according to their unbelief in God. So Paul basically tells us here that this is what he's saying. So he says, this is allegorically speaking. Going back Galatians 4 in verse 24, he says, this is allegorically speaking. So this is an allegory. This is a spiritual metaphor, he's saying. The reason he's bringing up these examples of, of Isaac and Ishmael, um, he's not bringing these up here in Galatians to say, okay, so see, look, God chose Isaac and he didn't choose Ishmael as he, he rejected Ishmael. He said, I don't choose him. The blessing won't come from him. What Paul says is this is a spiritual analogy. He never leads that to the conclusion of saying, so what that means is that God predetermined Isaac for salvation and he, he created Ishmael for wrath. He predetermined that he would not be one of his elect. That's just not even close to being in Paul's mind in this example. And when he brings up these two people, and when he brings up this story, but he says, this is allegorically speaking for these women, uh, Hagar and Sarah are two covenants, one proceeding from Mount Sinai. So Mount Sinai 
which is where the law came from, bearing children who are to be slaves. Mount Sinai produces slaves. The children, the, the woman, the mother of Ishmael uh, is, is the, the mother of slavery. She produces slavery. Flesh produces slavery. Our flesh, whenever we get into a place of not believing, not trusting God, and re- leaning on our own understanding, that is a reverting back to Mount Sinai. That's a that's a putting ourselves back under um, the, the the woman Hagar, who is who just gives birth to slavery. When we get in the flesh and we don't trust God, we stop relying on His promises. We uh, it, it always produces slavery inside of us and around us, um, and, and that's Hagar, who was the mother of Ishmael. And so, again, Paul's saying this is a spiritual analogy that he's drawing here. He's not literally saying that God, so God chose Isaac for salvation, and he created Ishmael for damnation. That's, that's not his point with bringing them up. Now, this is Hagar. Now, this Hagar, he says, is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to the present Jerusalem for she is in slavery with her children. This is really significant again as it relates to Romans 9. Because we see in Romans 9 the nation of Israel right, in slavery, not really attaining to the promises of God, not really attaining to the freedom that God wants for his children. They're actually not free, uh, Paul says here. But he says that that slavery, that spiritual analogy of, of Hagar and Ishmael, that that's actually the present Jerusalem, the present Jerusalem who had just uh, rejected the light that God had brought to them, the great light of Jesus, the Messiah, and they had missed him uh, because of their their hardened hearts, because of their disobedience to God, because of their unbelief. They had missed the Messiah. They had missed jesus and now they are in slavery uh they, they were in unbelief and in and, and so paul says the present jerusalem is the correspondent uh, uh analogy of, of hagar that hagar is the present jerusalem um, and then he says but the jerusalem above um, the jerusalem above is free she is our mother so who whose mother well our as in paul himself who is including himself in that, and those he's talking to, which is the church, believers, those who have put their faith in Christ. Sarah is the mother of of those with faith. Um, Sarah is the mother with those uh, who, like Sarah, like Abraham, obtained the promises of God, ultimately who obtained the righteousness of God, not by an unbelieving heart, that sets out to obtain righteousness by performance and by works and by effort, but a heart that trusts in the righteousness of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the gospel of God, and that message of free salvation that he's given, those who belong, who are children of of, uh, Sarah, are those with the faith of Abraham. Um, And and again, this, this is where Calvinism would derail and miss the point that that Paul's point isn't to say that that children of Sarah those who 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 belong to Sarah who are children of Abraham are not just those who God has predetermined and elected um, the point is faith and we can you know it's a whole different topic to to talk about okay well how does one have faith who gets faith who's the first 
who puts forth the first uh, decision? Who's the decisive cause, I guess, is one way of saying. It. Who's the decisive cause of us of a person's faith? Is it the person or is it God? That's, that's an entirely different discussion than uh, what's on the table here. And um, as I mentioned before, I want to tackle, I want to handle that subject. I want to talk about that in further videos. But the point here is that Paul doesn't even go there. He's at, that's not even in his mind here. That's not, that's not the issue on the table of, of who decides who has faith. Is it God who puts faith in people or is it us who, who choose faith? Again, that's not on the table. That's not the point. So if we go there here, we're missing Paul's point. What's on the table, what is clear here, is that what Paul's arguing for is that true children of Abraham, true Israel, are those with the faith of Abraham. It's those who follow in the footsteps of, of faith, who, who, uh, who choose to not uh, depend on their own understanding, who choose to not get into that place of the flesh where they're disbelieving the promises of God, which produces Ishmael, which produces slavery, but remain in faith and patiently wait for God's promises. He's, what Paul's arguing for here is that those are the ones who inherit the promises. Those are the ones that God looks at. Those are the ones that God has chosen. Um, and so then he goes on in Galatians verse 27. He begins to, to uh, quote an Old Testament passage. He says, Rejoice, barren woman who does not bear, break forth and shout, you who are not in labor, for more numerous are the children of the desolate than of the one who has a husband. That's significant. There's so much there. That's the gospel. You know, the, the children of the desolate. God's chosen the weak things of the world to shame the wise. He's chosen the, the foolish things to shame the strong. By all human wisdom, human wisdom says that it's, it's the woman with a husband who, who should have the numerous children, who, who should have the blessing of, of you know, a, a buttload of babies. <laughs> um, but but the gospel turns everything upside down, and it says, no, it's the children of the desolate. It's the children of the barren woman who has the, the most children, who's the most blessed. And what's that a picture of? Again, that's a picture of, of faith versus works. Galatians, the whole subject is faith versus works, where Paul's making a case from the Old Testament trying to explain, guys, do not go back to to reliance on your own efforts, your own human will, willpower, your own, what you're willing to bring to the table before God. Don't go there. Stay. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him. Rely on him by faith. You, you receive Christ. You came to him. You, you receive God's favor and blessing, and God poured out his spirit on you on the basis of you just simply believing in him and relying on him. And now you're going to go back to trying to, you know, observe days and months and seasons and years is what he goes on to say. You're going to go, you're going to try to get God's favor and you're going to try to become sanctified and perfected by your your own works and by keeping the law and what you can do. Uh, that's what Paul's saying. The whole point of Galatians is, is Paul saying to not do that because what God has chosen is those of faith. Those who are children of Abraham are those of faith who, who walk in the steps, the footsteps of Abraham. And so again, this is the gospel here. God has chosen the weak thing to shame the wise. It's, it's the children of the desolate uh, who are more than, than the one who has a husband. And in the same way, it's, it's those who don't have anything to bring to the table. It's those who come to God with nothing. While we were weak, Christ died for us. 
It's those who come to God weak and dirty and broken and who, who don't uh, hide like Adam and Eve and try to cover themselves. Um, those are the ones who receive God's blessing and who have more children than the one who has a husband. And so the one who has a husband, what does that mean? What does that represent? Well, it's the one who brings something to the table, who has something to offer. The woman with a husband, by all natural wisdom, should be the one with more children. And in the same way, the temptation of Satan on God's people that was going on in Galatians here is that it's, you know, what he puts in our minds is, guys, it's, 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 the, ones who, it's the ones who work for God. It's the ones who do something for God who are going to get his blessing. You know, if you really want to be in God's favor, uh, then, then you better do something. You know, do your part. Put forth your, your best efforts to, to get rid of your sin and do what you need to do to, to make God happy with you and to become more like Jesus. You do your part. You work. You put forth effort because it's those who put forth effort. It's those who bring something to the table who God accepts. It's those who bring something to the table and put forth effort who get ahead in this life. And so that, that, all that I just said, that's the temptation of Satan. That's not true. That's not the truth. That's a lie. And, and that's what human wisdom says. It's the one who has a husband who should have the most children uh, by all natural wisdom. Uh, by all human understanding, that's the person who should get, who should have the favor and blessing. Again, this is a picture of faith versus works. The, the the inclination of the human heart is to say it's the one who works that will get God's favor. It's the one who does his part, who puts forth energy and effort, who will who will free himself from sin eventually if he just sticks with it. And that's the one who has a husband. But it's but it, God again, He flips that upside down. He says, nope, it's the desolate one. It's the one who, who's barren, who has, you know, like Sarah, who had no, there's no possibility that by all human standards, she should have a kid. And just in the same with us, by all, uh, if we actually uh, correctly estimate ourselves, there's no way we can be righteous. There's no way we can do it. Uh, by all, all human wisdom says God should obliterate us and we have no chance of getting rid of our sin. There's, our sin is so great. It's so strong and so powerful working against us. Our enemies are st so strong that human wisdom says there's no way that, that we can attain that. And so we're, we're desolate. We have nothing to bring to the table. But God says it's those who acknowledge that and who don't try to bring anything to the table, who belong to the, the Jerusalem above and who belong, who, whose mother is Sarah, the, the mother of faith, if you will. Um, and this is, this is the church. This is Christians. This is true children of God and children of Abraham. And so going on in Galatians 4 and verse 28, he says, And you, brethren, you, brethren, like Isaac, are children of promise. So again, in Galatians, Paul's trying to get them back to saying, Look, guys, don't revert to the law. Don't try to come to God on the basis of law, works, and human effort. You're children of promise. You're those who stay in the steps um, of Abraham, who, who walk by faith and not by sight. You're those who live before God. You live by bread alone. And, and you, or you don't live by bread alone, but you live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You, you guys are your children of God's word. You're, you're those who get life every day. You get energy. You find your righteousness. You find God's righteousness, rather, not by what you bring to the table, not by the efforts you put forth, but by grabbing hold every day, every moment, you grab hold of God's promises. 
you grab hold of them and you receive them and you believe them. And if, he's saying, don't stop walking that way. Obviously, these guys have the capacity to make the free will decision to stop walking that way. And in some form, they have. Uh, many in this, this church in Galatians had made the free will decision to, to walk, uh, to start reverting back to a different way of walking before God. And Paul's saying, don't make the decision to walk according to the Spirit again, just as you've seen me doing it and, and the apostles and those who brought the gospel to you. Walk by faith and not by sight because you are children of promise. Again, that's just another way of saying you're children of faith. You're those who walk by faith and you're not those who are uh, uh, according to the flesh. And then he says, but as at that time... He who was born according to the flesh persecuted him who was born according to the Spirit, so it is now also. But what does the Spirit, the Scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman woman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman should not be an heir with the son of the free woman. And so all that's just another way of Paul saying, uh, get rid of that slavery mentality that you're walking in, or that's that's persecuting you, really. It's persecuting that that f- childlike faith inside of you, that, that true spirit man inside of you who's, who's sealed with the spirit, that true part of who you are, who God has made you, that new creation is actually being persecuted by that other part of us that wants to walk before God according to works. So to bring all of that back to Romans 9, again, we're focusing on this here where, where Paul says, this is the word of promise. At this time I will come and Sarah shall have a son. So this son here, he's bringing up this analogy. He's explaining that, listen, uh, God has a chosen people. He has a, a people that out of Israel, a category of people even within Israel who truly belong to Israel. He has a category of children of Abraham who are true children of Abraham. And he says one representation of this is Isaac. So what we see from Galatians, Paul brings Isaac up, not as an example of of Calvinistic predetermined election, um, but as an example of faith, as an example of God's chosen basis of faith as the way to relate to him. And so, again, I think if we miss that, if, if, we, if we start to misinterpret what Paul is saying here, we derail from his point and we miss God. And so uh, this video has gone pretty long already, I think. And so I, I want to get back. I'll, in the next one, I'll focus back in on um, Jacob and Esau, and we'll kind of look at, at uh, again, why Paul is bringing up these examples um, along with Isaac and Ishmael. And so um, for those of you who are following this uh, series, you can, um, I'm, I am doing the video versions where I'm having the scriptures on screen and, and uh, you're able to walk through uh, some of the notes I'm taking and stuff like that. But if you just want to be able to listen to any of this, um, you can find uh, this whole series, all the Answering Calvinism series on uh, in podcast form, basically anywhere you can find podcasts. So Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, and, and everything like that. So if you want to listen, um, you can do it that way. And then greatlightstudios.com, if you go there, you can find, um, as we're putting these out, we're putting those all on the website. Go to greatlightstudios.com and click on Resources, and then you'll find links to take you to the, the Answering Calvinism page where we will be putting all these videos up. So you can go back through or 
or uh, however you want to do that. And you, you can also find links there to, uh, to subscribe to the uh, podcast uh, feed for this so you can get updates when, when new ones are coming out. So anyways, I hope this video has been helpful and encouraging and insightful in some way. And again, we'll come back and focus in in the next one on Jacob and Esau. Mm -hmm.